0: Welcome to the DRV Law Show with your host, divorce attorney, Dennis Vetrano, talking divorce,
1: relationships, and adding value to your life. Now, here's your host, Dennis Vetrano.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the DRV Law Show. I'm your host, divorce attorney Dennis Fitrano. We are going to talk about abuse and fraud and money. Really some sexy issues today. Can't wait to get into it. Tracy Conan has been investigating fraud for more than 25 years, but she didn't always want to be a forensic accountant. Interesting tidbit. I just learned something with a dream of one day being a prison warden, of all things. Amazing. Tracy went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to get a criminology degree. A class on financial crime investigations reminded her of how much she enjoyed Encyclopedia Brown books as a kid. Another interesting tidbit. She continued her criminology degree, but added accounting and economics courses so she could become a CPA. And here Tracy is finding money in cases of corporate fraud high net worth divorce, and other financial shenanigans. Welcome, 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 Tracy. We are so happy to have you on the show. I'm excited
1: too. You're always fun to talk to. And I know it's a, it's a tough topic, right? Financial abuse and money issues in divorce, always tough to talk about and live through. Uh, but to the extent that we can lighten it up a little bit and give people some tips that they can put to work in their divorces, I think it's a great idea to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And it's interesting how you know I think people don't realize financial and abuse can be, you know, used in the same sentence. There is there is a, a big topic there. So well, I'll tell
1: you what, people are Googling financial abuse a lot and getting to my website. So so it's becoming more of something that people are conscious about. So and I think it's really important because. You have to know it exists before you can identify it in your own situation before you can take some steps right right so why don't you give us a basic definition what is financial abuse using money to control someone now i'm not talking about we have a family budget because that's some pushback that i get right from social media trolls well oh why can't we have a budget why can't i put my spouse on a budget like what's wrong with that we're not talking about a budget. What we are talking about is someone who micromanages you with the money, extremely controls your spending. Like you have to ask for $30 to go to the grocery store or won't even let you access any money, Um, things like that. Like I have a client right now who's going through a divorce who has literally no cash in her pocket whatsoever. She has a credit card that she's allowed to use up to a certain limit, each month for her basic necessities, but she's not allowed to have any other money. Yeah. That's abuse.
0: Yeah. And it's very difficult. So so if you're in that sort of circumstance, like how do you distinguish? It's very difficult to distinguish between, hey, somebody's managing the money and paying the bills. Those are my responsibilities of relationship. And I'm doing other things like how do you distinguish those two? I mean, clearly, if you have no money, sure. Any other tips on how you can distinguish whether it's healthy and just managing money or financial abuse?
1: Well, I do think that people need to trust their gut. If it feels off, it most likely is. But again, the budget is one thing. When we have other things like, they won't let you see account statements. They won't let you know where the money is or how much we have. They're asking you to sign financial documents that they won't let you read or won't explain to you. Or if you say something like, could I have an accountant look this over with me? Or could I have an attorney look it over? And they say, no and they're forcing you to to sign that's a problem. When they are filing tax returns without your consent and those tax returns have your name on them, that's part of abuse. And one of the things that I found in my work as it relates to financial abuse and as it relates to financial infidelity, which is lying about money to your partner, I found that people typically have a hard time doing that gut check. So they don't know, am I overreacting? Am I minimizing it? So I put together something I call the red flag assessment, short quiz, three to four minutes is all it's going to take you where I ask you some questions about how you and your spouse manage the money and some signs that you may have seen in your marriage. Like, have you been asked to sign papers without being allowed to read them? Have you learned of an account that your spouse had that you didn't know existed before? Is your spouse possibly engaged in an affair? All these kinds of things. You check off some of these signs that you've seen. And then at the end of the quiz, you get a result back. How at risk you are of financial fraud in your marriage. And and financial infidelity and financial abuse kind of fall under that umbrella of financial fraud. There's a lot of overlap there, but this really
0: helps with that gut check. So let's let's talk about financial infidelity. That's a new phrase for me. Tell me about that. What is that? Exactly? I am surprised
1: that's a new phrase for you. It is. But, but I'm I'm here for it. Um, financial fidelity, like I said, is really any lie about the money. So it can encompass spending money without your partner's knowledge. And I'm not, again, talking about going and buying a pair of shoes. I'm talking about something more significant. Spouses usually have agreements between themselves about spending money. We won't spend more than X dollars without at least letting the other person know, right? Right. If you're spending outside those limits, that's financial infidelity. Spending on things your partner wouldn't approve of, like maybe drugs or gambling or an affair, that's financial infidelity you know, lying on the taxes without your spouse's consent. So anything, any kind of significant lie about money to your spouse would be financial infidelity.
0: So I got a question for you. It So it seems like there are so many circumstances where there can be financial infidelity and there can be financial abuse in a sort of circumstance. Are there ways while you're in a marriage, in a relationship to work through those issues without feeling like, hey, it needs to be the end or it is the end?
1: There are certainly ways to work through it. What I tell my clients is if you have seen a bunch of signs that these things are going on, what I first want you to do before you talk to your spouse about it, because a lot of the advice out there is, well, you have to have a conversation. Sure. I'm going to tell you to have a conversation, but before you do that, I tell people to gather all the financial documents they can and put them in a safe place before you have the conversation because- Because, and I know this sounds cloak and dagger and it's not meant to sound sneaky, but the truth is that if your spouse is, let's say, spending a bunch of money on drugs and you want to confront them about it and say, hey, is there a bunch of money disappearing from our accounts? Your spouse might take you off the bank account so you can't even see what's going on, might cut off your access to money. What I'm suggesting, therefore, is getting those account statements, putting them in a safe place, potentially securing some money for yourself in an account with only your name on it just to be safe. Once you've taken those steps, then you can think about having that conversation. And the way I usually suggest approaching it is in a non-confrontational way. So typically what's happening is your spouse has most of the control over the money. And so the conversation in a non-confrontational way looks like this. Dennis, you've been doing a really great job with our money and I'm so happy that you've been handling that for our family, but I'm concerned because what if something happened to you? What if you got sick or had a car accident or died unexpectedly? I really don't know where our money is or how our various bills are being paid and things like that. What's on auto pay and what's not. I'd like to start understanding where we have money and, and where it's going.
0: Right. Right. So almost reaching out and like saying, hey, like, I want to get more involved in the process and that. And you know what? I feel like you can even connect this with a level of responsibility, like say, hey, like and and you tell me what you think. Hey, you're working through all this. You're taking all this responsibility on your own. You know, I'd like to help out. Right. Thoughts. Yes, I like the help
1: out and I like the I want to be more informed. What we find is if there is financial abuse going on, you're going to get a lot of pushback. They won't want you to be involved. They'll say, oh, don't worry. If something happens to me, I have a guy who's going to, our financial planner is going to help you. Great. Can I meet our financial planner? I'd like to be able to talk with him to see what he knows and what he's going to advise in the event that something happens to you, right? So I I advise to continue pushing it. But what you're going to find is if there is financial abuse, you're going to get some really significant objections to that. I also want to say, I don't want to minimize in abuse situations, be it financial, physical, emotional. I understand that this can be really difficult. And the tips that I'm giving, I I don't want to minimize. It's not as easy as I make it sound. I get it. I'm not an expert on abuse. If you have a domestic violence situation, money is a hot button topic. I think your best bet is to talk to someone in the domestic violence space. How can I handle these money issues? Because they're going to have better advice for you than I am. So I just want to kind of put that out there, that, You know, I realize that my tips aren't going to work for some people.
0: Right. And I think what happens in these sorts of circumstances, just like I do, look, I'm giving the legal, but then there's also the practical, there's the pragmatic, there's the day-to-day life sort of situations that Mm -hmm. may very well impact your safety. So Mm -hmm. it's always safety first, even I'm sure your advice, my advice, it's always safety first today, tomorrow, and the next day, physical, mental, emotional safety And then the money and the kids, absolutely, of you and the kids, and really these days even pets too, yeah, you know. So it's it's a it's a broader uh, view of what a family is these days, especially when it comes to orders of protection. But I think you you handle those pieces with the professionals that can help you there, and there are many. And then the money. They talk to you and then the lawyer, you get your lawyer involved to the, the to the extent you need to. So it, in terms of approaching them for fi- in a financially abusive situation versus the financial infidelity, like, hey, what happens if you come across, hey, I thought we had $50,000 in our bank account and now we have 30. How do you approach that without setting people off?
1: I don't know that you can approach it without setting them off because isn't the implication of, of that scenario you wasted or hid or stole $20,000. And so it is a hot button. I don't know that there is a great approach to that. What I would say is, you know, we talked about the infor- gathering all the information and securing that. Right. I always tell people, even if you're not thinking that divorce is your path just yet, you're not sure, I still like the concept of talking to a divorce attorney and having a consultation yeah. so that you can understand in your state- Where you live, what are my rights? How is my specific situation likely to be handled by the court, right? Because your situation is different than the next person's. You, How you and your spouse handled money. How are you working now? Are you not? Your situation with your kids, there's questions you're going to have. And I like the idea of people gathering that information and understanding their options if they end up going down the path of divorce.
0: Right. And my advice is like, look, talk to a a divorce lawyer. If you're even if you're contemplating it very early on, it doesn't, you know, you, you pay for the consultation, you walk away with information, theoretically, and you have no obligation beyond that. And if you're working with the right divorce attorney in whatever jurisdiction, if they're really immersed in the area of law, they're going to be able to point you to the right experts in terms of counselors, in terms of domestic violence counseling, in terms of creating a plan for yourself, in terms of forensics in any of those sorts of circumstances. So I always say as early on as is possible. But what about in a forensic accountant? When? How? How? How do, you, how do you know when to hire a forensic accountant, when to get them involved? What's the, what's the first step there? Well, I'll tell you this. In
1: 90 to 95% of cases, you don't need a forensic accountant. It's not that complicated. So when you are talking to friends, family, online support groups, and they say, ha-ha, you need a forensic accountant, hold the phone, may or may not need one. Right. Forensic accountants are appropriate when... You have complicated money situations. I am typically working with people who have a lot higher assets, a lot higher earnings. Maybe they have a business involved. They have a bunch of bank accounts and investment accounts where money is moving around a lot. For the average person where you and your spouse maybe have a job and you have a main bank account and maybe a savings account, a couple other accounts, you've got a couple credit cards. That's a pretty typical scenario. You don't need me. You need the Divorce Money Guide, right? I created the Divorce Money Guide to give an option to those, to the average people getting divorced who say, I have concerns about the money. I'm not going to spend 10 or 15 grand on a forensic accountant, but what option do I have? Because my attorney is saying, well, if we can't hire a forensic accountant, then there's really no way to look into the money.
0: Because that was going to be my question. You see, you, you read my mind. My next question was, hey, if you're not doing a forensic accountant, how do you find the money? I get so many clients like that. Dennis, I don't know anything about the finances. I think we had 50. I think we had 30. Maybe it's 250. Maybe it's 500. Maybe it's 10 million. I don't know. How do I find the money? Right.
1: The Divorce Money Guide. You watch some videos, you get your account statements, you find the money. I walk people through in the videos here's what the financial piece of your divorce is going to look like. So you know what you're in for, the kinds of things you're going to have to do, the documents you're going to have to turn over to the other side, the questions you might be asked, some of the legal terms that are involved. Then I help you understand exactly which financial documents you should get. How do you get them? How do you organize them? And then the big part, the good the good stuff, what do you look for to find where the money is going. And you don't have to be good with numbers. You don't have to be an accountant. We do very, very simple things. Like I have people look for missing paychecks. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, everyone's got direct deposit. I mean, the money just goes straight into the bank account. Yeah, but it's pretty easy to go into human resources and divert a paycheck, divert part of a paycheck, divert a bonus check Things like that. Uh, Change the account that your check is going to for a couple of months, things like that. So, what I have people do is take one year's worth of bank statements, print them out, take a green highlighter, highlight every paycheck that you see being deposited, count them up. If you're like normal people, you get 24 or 26 paychecks a year. If you counted up all those paychecks and found 20 paychecks for the year, what does that tell you, Dennis? Yep. You got a problem. The other thing you might see when you're highlighting those paychecks, you might find one that is unusually low. Mm -hmm. There's a question to be asked. Why is that so low? And then I show people on a yearly basis how you can figure out how much should have gone into your bank account for all of those paychecks. So we could add those up. That's if you want to take that little next step to be a little more of a numbers person. But we do easy things like that. We look for things like. Could there be a secret credit card? Dennis, how would you look for a secret credit card if you were looking at all the account statements?
0: Well, let's put it this way. Why don't you tell me?
1: (laughs) Great trivia question, right? All all we're looking for is a payment to a credit card company that you weren't aware of. Right. So it's about empowering people to be willing to break out those bank statements and look at them line by line. And so I, I instruct people on what kinds of things to look for in there. How about a secret bank account? How would we find that? Look for a transfer to an account you never knew about. Might be at the bank you're currently banking at. Might be at a different bank. If you're banking at Chase and you look through these account statements and you see transfer to Wells Fargo, ding, 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 ding.
0: Right. Right. Yep. And that's something that we've done as lawyers. And again, a lot of times what we'll do as a trick is a lot of many times people are creatures of habit. So if they have bank accounts at one place, they figure, oh, I'll open up another bank account at the same institution in a different name, a different account number, so you can subpoena and get all of the bank records for that institution right. or, hey, I'm not collecting any money. I don't make any money. Yet you're paying one hundred and twenty thousand dollars in combined expenses a year. Right. That Doesn't make sense or even like corporate searches. Like if you, hey, I don't know if they have a company, do a corporate search, see if they have it. Right. But here's the thing, you're hearing what lawyers do. Should people be concerned about trying to do this stuff themselves or should they feel like they need to leave all of this stuff to the lawyers?
1: Oh gosh, they don't need to leave it all to the lawyers. I would like to say, you know your family. Yep. You looking through a bank statement is gonna be much more effective than your attorney looking through them. You're gonna see a charge somewhere you know, I, I use an example, um, $200 spent at Target. That right. to me is going to look normal. Family shop at Target. To you, Dennis, that's going to look normal. Family shop at Target. Right. But when the person is getting divorced is looking at that account statement and sees Target, and there's a city name there, and they say, wait a second, that's two hours from our house. Right. Why was there a charge at that Target? They might, you know, have some greater insight than we would about it, which is why I like to empower people to take a look for themselves and show them what to look for. I don't expect people to know out of the gates what to look for. You can always go that next step and hire a forensic accountant. If you start looking and all of a sudden you realize things are really complicated, you found some really concerning things, you can absolutely hire a forensic accountant. But I like taking that step of looking at things for yourself first. It saves you a lot of money and and can find some really great stuff because i always say that the people hiding money in divorce aren't that sneaky about it most of the times. They don't cover their tracks real well.
0: Yep. That's the that's the funny part. People think they're so sneaky and, and and you know, uh uh deceiving with it, but the reality is they just put like even people who collect cash, they just end up putting it in their bank account. Right. I'm collecting well, cash and not reporting it to IRS and yet I'm just depositing it into my bank account.
1: Right. Well, i work mostly with women in divorce and they say, "Well, why would my husband transfer money from our joint checking account to his secret account? Why would he make a transfer of $2,000 in there? He's not going to do that, right? And I say, yes, he is going to do that. You know why? Because he thinks you're never going to look at the statement for your joint account. That's why he's not covering his tracks, because he thinks you're never going to look.
0: And it's it's surprising what you can glean from looking through credit card statements. I've had cases where you're looking through credit card statements. Oh, what are all these purchases to Victoria's Secret? Mm -hmm. He hasn't purchased anything from me at Victoria's Secret.
1: Or a jewelry store is one that we get. Right. You see, you know, a hotel across town um, or a hotel at a vacation spot. And you're saying, wait a second, we didn't go on vacation. He said he was on a business trip. Oopsie. Right. Right. There is a lot of stuff that is really obvious. And I, I I can't emphasize enough how in most of the cases, it is pretty easy to find.
0: Yeah. And I will tell you this coming from a divorce lawyer who's been doing this almost twenty five years, I don't want to do the legwork for you that you can easily do yourself. I, I will maybe I'm one of the few lawyers that will say that. I don't want to charge you two, three, four, five hundred dollars an hour to sift through bank account statements that you could very easily have somebody at a cheaper rate do, number one, and or two, just do it yourself. I usually send these documents to my client and say, hey, I don't know your husband or your wife as well as you do. You know them better than I do. You look at these things and you tell me. And many times you'd be surprised what they tell you. People are really
1: sensitive to the amount of legal fees that they pay and they should be because divorce is expensive. This is one really easy way to help control those legal fees. Even if you don't find anything in your statements, the act of you downloading your statements Putting them in an organized order, getting it all packaged up nicely to hand to your attorney for what you need to produce in court can save you easily a few hundred bucks, if not more, because you're just saving that attorney's time.
0: Absolutely. And I and I will tell you, these are the ways you can use your tools outside of the office to do some of the legwork yourself to help your divorce lawyer really be in a better position to be successful in your case. But here's the thing. I'm always talking about relationships at the ground floor because I'm the divorce lawyer who wants to work backwards. Right. And see how Mm -hmm. we can fix the situations before they happen. So you're thinking about getting married. How do you protect against these sorts of circumstances before you get married, before it's 20 years down the road and you don't know about the finances? What can they find in your book to help them with that?
1: Two main things you can do. Number one, get a prenup because that will be your roadmap for how you're going to split up the money if you ever decide to divorce. Sorry, divorce is a business transaction. The marriage is not, I always say marriage is not a business transaction, but the divorce is. The prenup is simply a contract between you and your spouse that says, here's how we're going to divide the money if we ever split up. So that's the first thing you do. The second thing you do is you stay involved with the finances. If your spouse wants to handle paying the bills and be in charge of the money, that's okay but you have to make sure that on a monthly basis, at a minimum, you are looking at the account statements, you're logging into online baking, just take zipping through those those transactions just to make sure everything looks OK. If you stay an active part of just keeping an eye on things, you are far less likely that your spouse is going to get one over on you because they know you're watching.
0: Yeah, and I think being involved, at least on a monthly basis. And again, all of the things you said before, like the tax returns, you should be reviewing those. You should know what's being done there. You should have access to all the accounts. You should have access to the finances, eyes wide open the whole way through. Absolutely. So, um, so you're going through the divorce process and it's getting contentious and you're going further down the road, any further tips you can give us when you're in the divorce process, you're mired in it, how's the best way to make sure you don't get screwed with your divorce on the finances?
1: You should not agree to anything final in your divorce until your spouse has made all the disclosures that they're supposed to make. Too often, I see people entering into settlements. Well, he hasn't given us all the statements. He hasn't fully disclosed the value of things, but I think we've got most of it. So I'm going to go ahead and agree. I am very much against making those agreements until you have all the information. And you will get pushed and pushed and pushed to make a decision and agree to a settlement. And someone taught me some really powerful language surrounding that. And it goes like this. I am happy to make a swift decision once I have all the information. I am happy to make a swift decision once I have all the information.
0: That's my best tip, Dennis. Well, I want everybody to hang on that and highlight that quote, because I think one of the most difficult things going through the divorce process is to be patient enough to make sure that the resolution is fair and is tenable, not a year from now, not a five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now as you're near retirement. You need to know, especially in long-term marriages, that whatever the resolution is, it's something that's fair and equitable to you. You've been provided all the information you need to make an informed decision, and you make the right one. Because hopefully you're only doing this once, right? Right. Right. Okay. So Tracy, thank you so much for being on our show today. I love the things that you're doing, by the way. I feel like it's so useful. There are so many practical tips that you offer. Can you please tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can get your book, all of the information about how they can access all this great information that you have to offer?
1: Everything that we talked about today can be found on a page on my website, just for your listeners. So my website is fraudcoach.com because I am your fraud coach during your divorce. Yes. Page for your listeners is fraudcoach.com forward slash DRV, like DRV law group. So there, they're going to find a link to the red flag assessment. They're going to find a link to my book, find me the money. And they're also going to find information on the divorce money guide, which is that tool that we talked about that has the videos and worksheets and checklists that help walk them through understanding their finances. And, you know, I've been through hundreds of divorces with people, and I know it's a really difficult time. Uh, It can be emotionally challenging. It's certainly expensive. You know, it puts a strain on your finances. And I just hope that something I said today resonated and can really be of use to your listeners.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And listen, I want to say honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for what you do. It's so useful and helpful to people. I've always felt like in the divorce process, listen, information is power. You're providing information so that they can make the right decisions in their divorce case. And that's super, super important. So thank you again for being on the show. And thank you everybody for tuning in to the DRV Law Show. We'll see you again next time. Have a great day.